Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How are you, Aaron? I am doing well, Steve. We're off of vacation. Of course, we're going to be talking a little bit about that later, but uh, looking forward to today's show. We have BASS elite angler Clark Ream talking about finesse fishing with hard baits, and then a little later, Mike Webb is going to be joining us to talk about electronics. Excellent. It's going to be a good show. Let's do it. Get it like that, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing today. Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, Aaron, I know you had enjoyed some of your holiday because I saw you doing it. We got a chance to hang out together over the holidays. We did, and uh, certainly, you know, July 4th celebration was my highlight. I know that Maya had a good time. I, I just could <laughs> not believe the amount of uh, fireworks that everybody set off there in your neighborhood, Steve. That was that was certainly a highlight. Well, it's unique. Uh, I do live in a community that allows fireworks in town on 4th of July only, and Everybody, it seems like there's sort of a competition and uh, sort of a block party goes on. So it was a good time, and you and Diana came out, and uh, the kids had a pinata, and uh, we even had a uh, kids don't do this at home moment with uh, my wife Kathy trying to stick a nail in the, in the board <laughs> to shoot a firework, and ended up getting a tetanus shot. So, but all in all, a good time was had by all. Boy, it sure was, and uh, you know the weather worked out perfectly, and uh, even got to spend a little time on the water a little later uh after that uh, went out and went brim fishing steve with uh with maya so that was a lot of fun and actually uh-huh. we started out using uh live bait night crawlers and maya kind of got bored with that and so we went to artificial and fished around some docks through a drop shot if you can believe that and uh caught some really nice brim so you know it was it was a great week altogether well it was but i'll tell you what whatever uh, part of the country you're in you know you've pretty much switched to the summer patterns and kind of going with that summer arsenal of baits and uh, i was going to ask you aaron what what does that include for you what do you consider your sort of short list of summer go-to baits well you know i mean of course it's going to depend a little bit on what part of the country you're in but for the most part i think there is a handful of baits that are universal wherever you go you know certainly your top water if you have vegetation i really like throwing obviously those frogs i mean whether it be the swimming frog uh, if you have uh, kind of some space and holes in between where you can work that frog or the toad as some people know it and then also the hollow body you know uh, something that's really gets up on that matted vegetation where those frogs or those fish rather can come up through that and eat the frogs you know some of the open water then you're going to get into the buzz bait you know spooks some things like that so i think that covers your top water category for that morning late in the evening type bite mm-hmm. but then also you've got to have something to punch with if you have vegetation you know a texas rig anything soft plastic like a creature bait or a big heavy grass jig you know peg that weight if you're throwing a texas rig have that tungsten big one out so that you can bust down through that and create that reaction strike uh, those are definitely always going to be in my tackle box shaky head cannot rule that out uh, and then also you know the drop shot and the spoon for fishing um, the deeper water maybe for those suspended vertical type presentations and finally i would say the football jig and carolina rig those are going to uh, really fall into 
to that as well. Well, you know, you make such a good point about the differences because, you know, here in the Ozarks and our uh, deep, clear lakes, you know, we're fishing 30 foot deep with the shaky heads and the Carolina rigs and jigs and stuff. But I remember last year in California, uh, what was it, like 100 degrees and we're catching fish uh, on frogs on top in vegetation and in some pretty shallow water. So, uh, you know, in the summertime, uh, if you've got a vegetation lake, uh, a lake with a lot of vegetation in it, you know, that, that vegetation gives a lot of shade and it puts off oxygen. So uh, don't hesitate to look for those shallow fish in, around the big mats of vegetation in the summer. Well, absolutely. And, you know, that's a very good point. Remember, as always, deep is a relative term. You bring up a good point as far as the oxygen. Boat docks, you know, that is going to serve uh, exactly. kind of an ambush standpoint, again, shade, uh, protection from the eyes, all that type of stuff. So it doesn't necessarily just mean because we are in summer that you have to go to deep water. Look at the conditions that you're faced with. If you have the right setup like you spoke of, man, by all means, pick up that and throw that frog all day long because there's not much uh, that I would rather do than to be able to throw top water all day. Oh, that was such a great show, and that was great fun. And, uh, and it's a great time of year to catch fish. It can be a little hot out there. and It's actually kind of a good time of year to do some night fishing. And actually a pretty good time of year to spend some time indoors and uh, one of the good things that happens indoors this time of year is the ICAST show which is out in Orlando Florida this year and uh, boy the whole Bass Edge crew is going over and I know you look forward to that you love new baits oh absolutely you know you get to see not only all the latest technology see what's coming out what's new and then of course Steve for your benefit I did book you the 35th uh, anniversary for the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse uh, for your anniversary (laughs) there so you will get to have breakfast with mickey (laughs) well that's uh me and mick go way back uh, (laughs) (laughs) i I actually think somebody told me that we had the same birthday but i'm not sure how mickey met (laughs) anyway you know but no it's such a great time out there it's just sort of everybody in the fishing industries out there this is where everybody introduces their new baits and folks we're going to be telling you a lot about the new technology and upcoming podcast we're going to talk to a lot of folks out there we're going to do some interviews and but then just for me on a personal note, man, I just run into so many good friends in the in the business that I've known for so long. So, so many of the anglers that we've done shows with, it's just kind of like a I don't know, it's got a touch of family reunion to it, you know. Well, it is, and you know that's the the thing I think about fishing that so many people are drawn to the sport is because of the camaraderie you know it's it once you make a an acquaintance in fishing it's it's they become part of the family and that is obviously very much at the forefront there at ICAST but I I'm excited as well Steve because uh, you know for the first time there's not a lot of tournaments that's going on during this week so you're going to have really everybody has the ability to come together here the economies you know it's in a different position than what it's Mm -hmm. been in years past so I think you will see a lot of creativeness uh, that will come out of this of how to take our industry to the next level so i'm looking forward to being able to bring those interviews you know live from uh, icast and and see what it has in store that's gonna be a good time yeah i got your memo on no steak and lobster this year so uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you might have to go catch it if you're gonna eat that (laughs) i may have to to go catch my dinner but i tell you what we're in florida that's a good place for it well now i'm gonna have a good time and uh, i think folks man you need folks need to listen back in because we're gonna be bringing a lot of neat stuff stuff from there and we're going to do a podcast from down there and we may have some special guests we're just going to see who we can round up that should be a lot of fun down there but for now we need to uh slip away uh take a few minutes and pay a few bills and come back and have a great interview with clark reed
You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us for this week's spotlight is an angler in his sophomore season on the Bassmaster Elite and calls Russellville, Arkansas his home, and it is none other than Clark Ream. Clark, welcome to the edge. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm looking forward to it. Clark, you have to be thinking right now that it feels pretty good to be indoors during this nice, cool 100-degree temperature that we've been experiencing, at least in our part of the country. Yeah, it's uh, pretty sweltering hot here in Russellville. Yeah, I got back from uh, being up in Iowa where we actually had very, very nice weather. And my dad qualified for the Federation Regional, and I went over to Greer's Ferry uh, Lake and helped him pre-fish for a couple of days. And it was pretty brutal out there. It was, you know, triple-digit heat index the whole time. And I haven't gone out since then. I've come home and uh, just sat around the house working on sponsor proposals and everything else. And it, it's nice to have this break, not have to be out in the weather. You know, speaking of the weather, Clark, and obviously you're a little bit in between events right now as we speak, but how do you combat taking care of yourself while on the water? Because obviously, as all of us know, you know, you have to have your mental wits about you, or otherwise you can't make good decisions while you're out on the water. Well, I mean, the obvious things that people know about are, you know, you wear your sunscreen, you know, you wear a hat, you drink plenty of fluids. But I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I just have to crank the boat up and make a little run around the lake just to cool off. There's little things, you know, sometimes it's nice to bring a towel and wet it and put it around your neck. The whole deal is just keeping hydrated, drinking a lot of fluids though, and making sure you wear sunscreen. That's the two biggest factors. I know it's a no-brainer, but it goes a long way. I mean, there's a lot of pros out there, especially the older veterans that have had bouts of skin cancer or different spots cut off and you know, it, it's a hard lesson that people need to take a look at. Well, it certainly is. And, you know, speaking of it kind of being hard on the angler, it can also uh, reposition the fish a little bit. And been looking forward to our interview because one of the things that obviously we cover here a lot on the edge and through Bass Edge Television and also just really across the fishing universe is the topic of finesse fishing. But our conversation is really going to lead us in a little bit different direction from the usual, you know, throwing the shaky head and that type of thing. What are you referring to when we kind of dive off? Off into this, I guess, modified version of finesse fishing. Well, as you pointed out, when people think about finesse fishing, they're obviously thinking about drop shots and shaky heads and, and things of that nature. But there's a whole other realm of finesse fishing that people don't really consider, and that's using hard bait for finesse fishing and smaller spinners and things of that nature. You know, I've got a box with me at some events. I'm not going to say all of them because when you go to a place like Gunnersville or Amistad, there's no need for it. But there's those grind out tournaments where you know you need to catch, you know. 10 to 15 pounds and it's a tough fishery and you've got to sit there and hope to catch a limit and the guys that are struggling to catch fish they're not going to fare well and if you just come in with a limit you're either going to get a check or win the tournament well in particular clark you know i've seen you out on places like the red river and sometimes you have a spinning rod with six pound line on the end of it which you know is is a little non-traditional but why the finesse gear on a place known for typical flipping and pitching and more uh power fishing type techniques well here's the mentality 
to have. A place like the Red River, most people go in the summertime to fish a big worm or a buzz bait or, or a frog or some sort of bigger topwater bait. But the whole deal is you're trying to get bite. We know there's not a massive caliber fish in that lake. You know, if you catch a three to four pound fish, that's a solid kicker fish in a sack where there's a 12 inch minimum. And, you know, catching two pounders for a sack is actually good. You know, I found that a lot of these finesse baits will catch the same quality fish, but you're going to get four to five times as many bites as a guy throwing bigger stuff. So why wouldn't you want to catch a bunch more fish and cull up to get that sack than to throw, say, a big worm to get five bites all day, and they still be the same two-pound fish that you're culling through, you know, throwing the lighter stuff. So it's it's really more about just kind of like percentage baseball in that it's percentage fishing. You're just trying to increase your odds on number of bites. Correct. You know, I've got three main mindsets when I look at throwing a lot of that smaller gear. You know, one of them is current. Whenever there used to be current, there's not anymore. Another one is clear water, you know, shallow clear water where there's finicky fish. And then the other whole concept is matching the hatch. You know, you're just trying to get those bites and those three elements right there can play a major factor in getting those bites. Well, obviously, I know we've talked uh, specific to kind of the Red River in that part of the country, but are these techniques applicable you know, really around the country? Oh, absolutely. You know, you take a lake like Wheeler, for example. You know, they run in other TVA lakes. You know, whenever they run current, you know, the fish start feeding. But what do you do when they stop running that current all of a sudden? Usually the fish shut down, and you've got to figure out a way to catch them. One way that I like to catch them is I'll throw like an RC.5, which is a smaller, tiny Rick Clun crankbait. It's about an inch long, if even that long. And you're able to throw it around bridge pilings where these fish have been feeding heavily and just stop and kill it because that bait will suspend and it'll just hover right there and start working like a worm. So you're able to finesse those fish up to come eat those baits. So you take a lake like Wheeler, you know, the FLW Championship is going to be at, uh, in Pittsburgh coming up. That's going to be a light line and small bait fishery. You know, a lot of these lakes like that, you know, guys need to find alternative ways to catch them, and that's a way to do it whenever it's tough. So what are the determining factors when you're applying these techniques? In other words, what's going to kind of spur you into picking up the spinning rod versus and set down, let's say, the flipping stick or the topwater? For one, I don't use them as search baits. You know, it's not something that you're going to go out and cover water and try and locate fish. It helps to know exactly where the fish are at. You know, I'll go back to my Red River example. You know, whenever you find areas on rivers and backwaters that are clear water, and that's what most guys tend to look for when they go to these places, and you can see fish cruising around, you know, spawn, pre-spawn, post-spawn, same sort of deal. Clear water, shallow clear water, you're seeing these fish cruising. Sometimes those fish can be finicky and hard to catch. Well, what I like to do is pull out like a three-inch floating rapala or a tiny torpedo. I mean, just real small topwater bait and fire them at long distances at these fish. And it's just non-intrusive on their environment and it looks natural for them. So they're able to come up and feed on these fish and it just looks totally natural to their environment. So why would they not be scared by a big frog or a big worm coming through there or flipping or something of that nature when you know the fish are there you know you're just trying to figure out how to catch them so a lot of times you know you spoke about cruising fish are you actually seeing these fish in shallows and in the bodies of of water that you're targeting are you looking at them well usually what happens is once you see them they've already spotted you as well so they're hard to catch but if you know the fish are there you know you're able to fire at long distance and just work the bait and those fish will come over to the bait you know but if they see your boat you know usually they're they're spooked by that point and they're a little bit harder to catch but if you know the fish are there say during your pre-fishing period you've gone through and you've seen the fish cruising or you've seen them laying around the tops of grass and things like that or underneath docks you know that's when you're able to catch them on these smaller baits you just make long casts you know like i said i use six pound fluorocarbon usually 
six-pound cigar and Vizex, or I'll use six- to eight-pound braided line. That way I can make longer casts as well because it comes off a spinning reel a whole lot easier, and you're able to make extremely long casts and work these baits effectively. Let's take a step back for just a second because I know you've covered a couple different areas, but for right now, let's say, you know, we're kind of here in the middle of July. Uh, It's pretty much hot all across the country, even up in the north. You know, they're starting to see, obviously, some temperature increases. But what are the prime areas and conditions that you would basically be applying these techniques this time of year? Again, clear water is one of the key essentials. You must be able to see the bait. And, you know, and those smaller baits aren't going to put off nearly as much vibration as, say, a big wobbling crankbait or a big, you know, prop bait or something like that or a popper-style topwater. You know, so you got to have clear water. It helps whenever they're feeding on smaller bait. You know, if I go to, say, Kentucky Lake and I know they're eating big gizzard chad or, you know, I say Amistad again where they're eating tilapia, it's not going to be that effective of a bait. When you go to places where you see schools of glass minnows and little shore minnows that are an inch, two inches long that are real tiny, clear, you know, real finesse-type, stuff, you know, that's what you're going to look for is these fish that are feeding on smaller baits like that, you know, places that are highly pressured, you know, some people say downsize your baits, well, obviously this is the answer to that, you know, most people tend to pick up a wacky worm or a shaky head or a drop shot throwing little finesse worms, why wouldn't they eat these tiny finesse minnows? So those are some of the key factors I look for whenever I'm fishing these baits. Well, I think that's that's great advice. Now, what about as far as on some of the, like the torpedoes, the Lucky Craft, the different baits that you've spoke of, how does color play into your selection process? Usually I'm going to take more of the natural style colors that look like shad or tiny little bluegill. Because, I mean, how many times have you been up shallow and seen bluegill that are, you know, two inches long or less? I mean, they're everywhere. And so that's, you know, you got to key on some of the main forage that these fish are feeding on. You know, I tend to like clear colored baits. You know, the clear tiny torpedo, the clear Zara puppy or Zara pooch, the real tiny one. And I throw a three-inch floating rapala a lot. I like that silver side with the black back. You know, in the Lucky Craft, you know, you've got several different uh, variations there that are natural. You know, I like the purple back uh, white RCs, you know, in clear water. Anything that looks like a natural color minnow, that's what you're trying to go for. You know, you're not trying to make it too gaudy out there. You just want the fish to key on it, the bait as an injured bait fish, and they'll come up and eat it. Why the spinning tackle on the terminal gear that you're throwing this on? Because heavy gear is hard to cast that light stuff. <laughs> Plain and simple. Um, you know, you've got to generate enough torque on a cast to get a bait out there. Sure, you could put some of these smaller baits like that RC.5 on heavier bait casting gear. You can throw some of the smaller topwaters on bait casting gear. But some of these baits are made of balsa wood, which is real light, has real slender profiles. If the wind is blowing at all, you're going to spend all day cutting out backlashes. Spinning gear is just a whole lot easier to make long casts. Usually the drag system uh, is better for light line. You could hand feed the line whenever you stick a big fish. You know, we mentioned the Red River again. You know, I'm throwing six-pound line. It is full of stumps, laydowns, and everything else. You know, I'm fishing around grass. You can't be afraid to sit there and stick these fish and get them out. And most guys tend to be brutes with their heavier bait casting gear and they'll break the line. Whereas with that lighter line, you take your time, you got it more limber of a rod. If they bury up in the cover, you're able to just maintain pressure on them and ease over to the fish or just lightly keep pulling them out and you're not going to have any issues. As a kid, we used to tie dental floss to June bugs and crickets and throw them in the water and have brim eat them. You know, you can actually catch fish by just maintaining constant slow pressure without having a hook on, 
and uh, using this light liner on that cover, are you able to do that with that light gear? Well, I think you bring up a good point from the standpoint, you know, so many of us that watch and participate perhaps in tournaments, you know, it's kind of like you stick the fish and, you know, in 2.7 seconds, they're in the bottom of your boat flopping. Obviously, you want to get those in the boat quickly because obviously that could mean money. But uh, oftentimes, you know, by just taking your time and just being cognizant of your surroundings, the tackle that you're using at hand, you can entice fish into biting that ordinarily is not the case. Correct. And the other thing is most of these baits have real small hooks. In fact, it's hard to find replacement hooks for them. And some of the baits need to have their stock hooks replaced. Some of the cheaper American-made products tend to need those hooks replaced. Whenever you can find, you know, size 8s and 10s and 12s and hooks, I know they seem ridiculous and you think, well, a man's going to use these for tying flies or something, but you need to carry an assortment of those to change those hooks out. And that's why you need that lighter gear because those little tiny hooks have a tendency to rip out if a man tries to muscle those fish out with that heavier gear. So that's another reason for using that lighter equipment. What about as far as any reason why you choose fluorocarbon over, let's say, a copolymer or mono or braid? I've pretty much gotten away from all monofilament lines. You know, I carry one spool with me at, at all times whenever I'm on the road, and I use it for backing for the backs of my reels. I've gone strictly to fluorocarbon or braid for everything. And there are certain baits that the fluorocarbon works better. Other baits, the braid works better, like topwaters. But I really am a believer in using a fluorocarbon leader tied to the braid with a double uni knot. And that way you don't have that obtrusive, you know, braided line laying there on the top of the water if it, if it bothers you. But you take a little floating rapala, you know, when you twitch it down, yeah, it's great when it floats up and that's where you get a lot of the bite. But with a floating bait, a lot of times that light bit of uh, fluorocarbon line is going to make that bait suspend right there which is just as productive as it coming up to the surface. That's a great piece right there. A lot of us probably haven't thought of that. Now, kind of uh, switching, I guess, to the business end, what about as far as, you know, the rod uh, that you're using for, let's say, these hard baits, you know, length, action? Uh, give us some detail there. I've got several different rods I use. Uh, one of my favorite rods is a Dobbin 701 spinning rod, which is a, an extremely lightweight rod. Uh, it's made for drop shotting. But you want to have a rod that has a lot of tip because you're having to sling these baits out there. So you got to generate a lot of torque with the overcast. You know, so you need definitely a lot of tip. You need that rod that, to have a slow to moderate action so you don't rip those hooks out of the fish's mouth. Because if you take a heavier, you know, say even a medium or, or medium heavy spinning rod, which the general public, most of them have one or two spinning rods, and that's what they have is, you know, a heavier or a medium heavy rod. You know, these are throwing, you know, shaky heads and things that they're actually having to set the hook on. So you need a lightweight rod. You know, the other rod I have is made by Performance Tackle. It's actually a custom-built rod that the guy built for me just to cast these lightweight baits. You know, I tend to like a 7-foot rod. Um, that way, you've got a little bit of extra length if you need to maneuver that fish or move them around. You know, I mentioned letting the fish, you know, get tangled up and stuff. Well, that's not always an issue, but if you can manhandle them a little bit and put that extra little bit of pressure on them with that seven-foot rod that a six or a six-and-a-half isn't going to afford you, you know, it makes it that much easier getting the fish in the boat. So those are the two main rods I use. And I've got some little variations. I do have a five-and-a-half and a, a six-foot rod that I carry with me. You know, and it's funny because they're actually my crappie and brim fishing rods that I use when I'm at home. But if I really have to go extreme, you know, sometimes I'd bust those rods out. Well, that's uh, all good stuff, Clark. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Before we get out of here, any closing uh, thoughts or comments before we hit the road? Yeah, uh, if people have more questions, they can ask on the Bass Edge forum, and I'll be more 
more than happy to answer a lot of the questions as they come in. I do a lot of social networking. I'm on Twitter. I'm on MySpace. I'm on Facebook. So you know, if you got further questions, you can look on there. I know Bass Edge has pages on each of those social networks. So just take a look and uh, be in contact. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck in your upcoming tournaments and the rest of your season. And thank you so much for being part of The Edge. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Power, productivity, speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow. Dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Scott Suggs. I'm Dave Wolak. This is Chad Morgan-Taylor. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. This is Dion Hibden, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, that was great. Thanks, Clark. Aaron, I know you enjoyed that conversation because uh, I know you're all about that finesse fishing. You know, I, I actually enjoyed it uh, for multiple reasons, one of which, like you said, I, I do like finesse fishing. But the other thing, it, it was a little nostalgic in some of the baits that, that he had spoke about and mm-hmm. even that he carries a, you know, a little five-foot uh, spinning rod that he uses for brim and crappie uh, around there in Arkansas. But he carries that on his boat for extreme situations, you know, to where he has to make uh, those casts with those small baits like we used to use on the streams and the ponds. That is nostalgic, and uh, I remember something I used to do years ago was I fished some lakes where it was pretty visual. You could see the fish pretty good, and I loved to, like, take a little beetle spin, the little tiniest thing I could, and throw it way off away from, say, a fish I see and reel it in and, and watch that fish and see how he reacts to it. And if he's watching it, if he's paying attention to it, or, or if he's running from it and kind of move closer and closer, and you get this feel of, of how that fish is, is reacting to it. And that's kind of what that reminded me of. Yeah, and, you know, I th- I thought his uh, advice as far as, you know, you're not going to start out with, the, you know, the beetle spins and the tiny torpedoes and items like that. But if you, if you start out with your traditional search baits and that is not working and, you know, this is something that you can go to because, you know, the shaky head and, and those type of finesse baits we talk about so much. But why wouldn't we pick up things that we grew up fishing that worked back then? They're going to work on the larger reservoirs. So I just really appreciate his info. Well, no, and that's so true, you know. And, and of course, we've always said big fish, big bait. And I'm not going to dispute that. That is, of course, true. But you cannot dismiss the idea that you can catch a big fish on a small bait. And I'll tell you, this spring, Aaron, I was fly fishing for crappie with a good buddy of mine out on Table Rock, and we were throwing 180th ounce micro jigs below strike indicators on a fly rod, and I caught a five and a half pound bass. So, uh, wow. and I got a picture of that. That looks like this little, this little dot in his mouth. But 
by gosh, he hit it. It was a good it was a, a good time on that number four fly rod too. Well, I bet it was in an 80th ounce. I mean, that's like a speck of dust. But no, I mean, you've you've heard my story as well. I mean, some of my bigger fish have have came on finesse style. But I think yes, we cannot dismiss that point that bigger fish will eat those. But the other thing that I want to emphasize is it's about getting bites. You know, when the fish shut off and you can mm-hmm. downsize and, and present not only something that they maybe haven't seen, obviously, in a long, long time, something that's going to match that hatch um, and give them a nice, subtle action, that's what is enticing the bites. And it's certainly a lot better off, whether you're recreationally fishing or in a tournament, to be getting strikes, you know, when you previously weren't. Well, that that's so true. And then sometimes you can just kind of find fish and figure out what's going on and, you know, find an area to concentrate and, and then maybe work your way up to a bigger bait from that point and maybe catch a bigger fish, but uh, don't really rule out anything. And we talk about flexibility every week and, and, and there you go. That describes it perfectly, you know, and speaking of which, our our question kind of ties right in with what we've been talking about this week. Well, it does and it's perfect. I'm going to let you answer this one because it's perfect because I know that you start out when you were young in this business doing the uh, non-voter thing and we've got a question from David about that. David says, I'm getting ready to fish my first tournament ever as a non-boater in my hometown. How do you prepare yourself when you pair up with someone who wants to downsize your gear? I know some lures to take because I've caught fish on them, but what else should I look at having? David wants your advice, Aaron. Well, I think that's a good question, and first off, congratulations, David. Uh, That is very exciting. Regardless, you know, you've heard my thoughts here before, regardless of what or how you feel about uh, competitive angling, I think being a non-boater is a tremendous way to get out and learn and see uh, multiple bodies of water, but also see how other anglers approach the decisions throughout the course of the day. So, um, I think reducing your gear, that is just part of being a co-angler or a non-boater. You know, I've often said that uh, the guys that are in the back of the boat have a few more odds stacked against them uh, and have to be a little bit more creative because space is certainly an issue. But most boaters will gladly, you know, provide you with items uh, that you need or forgot. Uh, one piece of advice that I would definitely suggest is have a discussion the night before uh, the tournament morning concerning what he is targeting, how he or she has been catching uh, their fish. Go through all of those types of information. And, you know, certainly not understanding what the characteristics of the body of water that you're going to be fishing this tournament on. I'll give you some general ideas, but it's keep it basic. You know, the first thing you said is that you have some baits in mind that you have confidence in. Well, by all means, those are the ones that you need to definitely uh, have in numerous supply with you because obviously that has proven success. Secondly, uh, shaky head, you know, pick out a few colors. Green pumpkin uh, is always kind of a universal color, but also um, be aware of what's going on. I'm assuming with this being a local lake, you probably know what uh, the brim and the bait fish are in that. Uh, be cognizant of that when, when choosing your colors. Jigs, if it has a uh, has grass in the lake, make sure that you take a grass jig. If it's, you're fishing more rock or uh, structure, make sure you're using the right head and the right size of weight uh, for what you're targeting. But another thing on the jigs are that you can take skirts without having to take the big, bulky, heavy box of jigs. Take you a few heads, but take several different skirts, and you can always change them up as you go. Topwater, you know, there you go. Perhaps a swimming frog, toad, uh, or hollow body, or a buzzbait spook for the open water. And then crankbaits, you know, I definitely suggest, Steve, uh, taking a handful of crankbaits throughout uh, the water column because as the day progresses and the uh, the light penetration changes, those fish are probably going to move around. And then finally, 
I'm definitely going to say the Texas rig, Carolina rig, and a drop shot. Well, that's great advice, and that's so exciting. I mean, uh, you you know, your point is so good about, you know, fishing, you know, the value of fishing with a really good angler in the boat. And I'll just tell David, just take what you take and don't get too worried about it. Most anglers, if they're catching them on something you, you don't have, they will share. But anyway, we want to hear back from you, David. I'd be curious to see how you did on that deal. For now, Aaron, uh, we're going to slip away and talk to one of our good buddies from right here in the Ozarks, Mr. Electronics himself, Mike Webb. We'll be right back on The Edge. Finally, a safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Keelguard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Pete Gluzek, and thanks for listening to The Edge. We are back on The Edge, and today's topic is one that really cannot be overemphasized, and that is the use of electronics. And here with us today to provide insight is one of the Bass Edge regulars, Mike Webb. Mike, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, Aaron. You know, Mike, this is your time of year, I think. As a matter of fact, I, I believe you just got off the water today, didn't you? I did, and yes, this is the time of year I enjoy the most because almost all the fish we catch is uh, viewing the electronics straight up and down, and I love that. Well, and that is really one of the things that we are going to spend our entire episode here that we have together. And and really, Mike, you know, that is a result of the numerous interviews that we do, really two a week uh, here on The Edge, every single time, like clockwork, electronics is always brought up. Well, you, you have to have electronics anymore to compete. And whether you're fishing in a, in a five-acre lake or a, a big reservoir, the electronics are going to help you find the fish and catch more fish. And knowing what you're looking at is a big part of that. And you brought up several things there, Mike, because when you think about it, historically speaking, you know, electronics have been around a long time. However, I can honestly say concerning my situation, you know, it wasn't really until the last, say, eight to ten years that I really began to understand the full capabilities of what electronics can do. And so many times, you know, they're used just maybe for temperature, for depth, you know, looking at some contour. But the way you apply that, you take that to a whole different level. Well, today, these electronics, you can see fish inside brush piles. You can see rock piles. You can actually see rocks in the rock piles. And you can see the bait fish, the thermocline. There's so many advantages to today's electronics over the ones that we used eight, even five or six years ago. Well, and that's a good point because now there seems to be obviously a very steep learning curve with a lot of the anglers that are out there. And, and one of the things that I think we talk a lot about pre-fishing, really proper knowledge of what your electronics are capable of having the right settings. You can really spend a lot of time sitting down behind the console using your big motor to do a little bit of that pre-fishing, you know, before you actually have to get up on the front deck and start making a cast. Well, and that's right. A lot of times we used to use our baits to throw out and find out how deep or where a channel swing was or a creek and now we can mark those on a GPS by just riding over them uh, and the brush piles that are off these long points it's so much easier just to GPS them and mark them and find out what depth the fish are because you'll be able to see the fish where the shad are 
because that's where the fish are going to be as well. And you can see all that on the graphs now. Well, and, and likewise, I think, too, Mike, you know, having the, the settings correct allows you to maybe pick apart, are there, is there a shell bed out on that point? Or are there fish actually holding in that vertical timber or in that brush pile? You know, is it safe to say that we as anglers can actually, you know, have our electronics set up correctly to be able to make that determination? Well, you can use the electronics out of the box and you can get away with it, but there's so much more to electronics than just turning them on. And you're missing so much. And this DVD that we have out now is going to walk you through that. You're going to be able to see a lot more by adjusting your sensitivity, your color line, uh, your ping speed. There's a lot of things that you're you're just turning it on you're not going to get. And by having these settings in there, you're going to see a lot more detail and you're going to see a lot more fish too. Well, and what do you think like the number one mistake that we as anglers make with electronics when we make that purchase, you know, slap it on the boat and go? I don't know that there's one. Uh, I think the biggest questions I get are why do I have interference? Um, how come I can't see my bait? things like that, and they're not understanding their electronics is why that's happening. Um, most of the time, their interference is due to simple things, like their sensitivity is too high. Um, and why can't I see the bait? It's most of the time it's because their cone angle is not adjusted correctly. And we go over that in there as well. In today's graphs, if you purchase a color graph now, and I'm just using that as a generic term because most of the color graphs now, you should be able to see your bait on there and vertical drop and if you can imagine if you can see a swivel on a line you can imagine how well you can see a three pound bass on there it's just phenomenal well it is and you know the other thing i think when you get into things like using that zoom and your upper and lower limits and i don't want to get too technical i'm hoping you can kind of break that down a little more simplistic for us mike but you know that's huge the zoom is just exactly like looking through binoculars that's all it is you have a full picture like zero to 40 on your graph and, and you see a fish at 20 foot, you can zoom right in on him, drop your bait down, put it in his living room, and he's yours. And, and the upper and lower limits, why do you need to have your lower limit set on 200 if you're only going to fish in 40 foot of water? That's a bunch of space you're missing right there. That's not needed. So by setting them from zero to 40, if that's the deepest you're ever going to fish, that's all you need. Just things like that are in that DVD that's going to help you have a better fishing day on the water. Well, and then, of course, you know, we're just talking about kind of the sonar option, but then getting into really the GPS components, you know, nowadays of being able to use the MMC cards to save that data and manipulate that after the fact, that's pretty big, too. Oh, it's huge, and it's, there's so much more to this stuff than I even know, um, but being able to go in there and just capture a shot. You know, I apply them in a lot of my seminars. I'll go out and see a bunch of fish on the graph and drop a drop shot down, and I'll capture that shot on an MMC card, and then I'll use it, to, you know, on my PowerPoint presentation. It's just phenomenal what you can do. The GPS is the most important factor, I think. Well, and Mike, we are running out of time, but I do want to get a, just briefly, because you and I have the uh, benefit of, of being able to experience kind of the new HD technology. That seems that, you know, at first glance, that seems pretty encouraging of where the future is taking us. Well, I, you know, everything is changing right now. I think what the HD has the advantage of is what we call target separation. 
I notice that when I'm using mine now, I'm actually able to see fish clearer off of the bottom than I was on the other units. They'll actually show up as a different color, whereas they used to just kind of blend in with the bottom. So it's a target separation that is amazing on the HDs. Yeah, it's, it's definitely crystal clear. One last thing, and then we're out of here, Mike, is the difference between, let's say, a skimmer transducer uh, versus some of the other kinds that are out there. Could you explain that just very, very quickly so that our listeners can get a handle on that? Well, a skimmer transducer is kind of a teardrop shape. A lot of them are being used on the back of boats and stuff. But you can put it on your trolling motor and you can just angle it back and forth. Those are great if you want to angle your cone and you're not going to be around a bunch of stumps. But I wouldn't use those around a bunch of stumps because they separate their away from the head of the tra- of the trolling motor, so you're able to knock them off of there. And the old hockey puck style. Those are just mounted against the trolling motor head, and you can't adjust them, but the power is the same, but you're not you know, you're know, not as likely to knock them off with a stump as well. Well, all good stuff, Mike. I know that uh, the DVD that you speak of, Electronics 101, that you kind of hosted, uh, phenomenal, been doing very, very well. I would encourage everyone who has not had the opportunity to get on the website, uh, check that out. In the meantime, Mike, we've got to get out to break, and uh, thank you so much once again for enlightening us on electronics, and we look forward to doing it again. Glad to be back, Aaron. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Before we go, Steve, we have an interesting winner this week. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. Aaron, as you know, when someone sends in a question, we add their name to the giveaway list. And this week, David, who wrote our question's name was drawn, and David will receive a copy of our Electronics 101 DVD with Mike Webb in it and a custom-made Lionel Hollingsworth spinnerbait. Well, there you go. See, uh, that just goes to show you when you enter and send in a question, uh, sometimes <laughs> things goes your way. So congratulations to David. I know he'll enjoy both of those things. Well, that's it for today, but be sure to look for Bass Edge Television on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips and a chance to win prizes. And for all of the Facebook and Twitter users, be sure and add Bass Edge to your list. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin. And for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.